Hello, and welcome to League of Josh podcast. My name is Joshua, and I'm your host. This episode was recorded on June 29th, 2021. I'm joined today by Emma Krebs, the host of the Curious One podcast. This discussion revolves around the topic of personal development. We talk about minimalism and its ancient roots, traveling outside of our environments and ourselves, the importance of telling the truth to ourselves and to others, the benefits of reading, writing, and creative process. If you would like to continue pushing boundaries and learning from Emma's insights and explorations, you can find her social media links in the show notes. I hope that this conversation encourages you to be curious. Enjoy. Hello, everyone. Today, I'm joined by Emma Krebs. Emma is the host of the, Peri- the Curious One podcast, where she delves into interesting topics with a diverse array of guests, covering a plethora of topics, including but not limited to relationships, reading, minimalism, business, and travel. She approaches each discussion as a critical thinker and does a sublime job at interacting with her guests to develop an informative, organic conversation. Emma, thanks a lot for agreeing to, to talk to me today. I appreciate it. It is, first off, it's an honor to be on here. That was the best intro uh, I've ever heard of myself. Um, <laughs> I've done that. Uh, and I, can I just say something in a minute? Can I just, can I toss something in here? Do it, of course. Um, I just want to acknowledge you and your podcast because you, like, when you started your podcast, I was living in Australia and I had a microphone in my like belongings and I was on the fence of starting a podcast. I didn't know anyone that had done it. I had thought about it for over a year and then I saw you make one and I sent you a message and I was like, dude, this is sick. And it really just set me on the path of like, we can, we can do this. Whatever you set your mind to, you can do. Because until I had seen you post it, it seemed like this large looming thing that was so beyond myself. And then once I saw someone that was just a regular human, went to, went to the same city, grew up in the same city. And I was like, yeah, man, I'm going to, I'm going to do it. So thank you. And, and You're inspiring you, people, man. And now you've surpassed me. The student has become <laughs> the teacher. No such thing. We're all on our own path. <laughs> so why did you start your podcast? What was the, besides me? Oh. <laughs> besides you. I wanted to become you. It's the, yeah. the blonde, long hair. We're just like very much the same vibe. Um, exactly. A year ago, I probably had the same length. So we really? Matching. Yeah, I used oh, to have it down to like really long. I think I've donated like 30 inches now. That's awesome. Yeah, then we would have been twins. Um, mm. I started the podcast, uh, I'd wanted to do it for so long and I had resonated with podcasts. It's kind of what set me on my journey was like the minimalist podcast I talk about all the time. And so, um, I kind of wanted to enter that space and I didn't really know how, and I often found myself trying to have like deeper or more meaningful conversations with people in spaces that just weren't appropriate. So I'd be asking like my coworker, her like childhood traumas on a retail floor or asking people what lights them up as I'm like making their coffee as a barista and people would get annoyed because like they're in a rush. And so I wanted a space to not only have deeper conversations, but I'm also like, I'm super curious about things. And like, I'm the type of person that has like a hundred tabs open. I'm always reading a different book about different things and like listening to podcasts. And so it's another reason, another reason I did it is like, it's an excuse to interview these people that I just find fascinating or I'm curious about or explore a topic more in depth that I'm more curious about. Um, and so that's kind of the gist of why I created the podcast. How do you think it's evolved over time? Ooh, good question. Right off the cough, right off the cuff, my first response is like <laughs> myself. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. Um, I feel as though like I've changed a lot um, in a non-cliche way, just meaning 
I found at the beginning, I was trying to have these difficult or like, just like these more in-depth conversations. And what I was coming to find was the questions I was asking my guests. I had never asked myself and I was afraid to ask myself. So through, I think a huge part of that was like just life and, and external things that were happening at the time too. But I think the podcast really forced me to level up. I began to become friends with people that I met through the podcast that just you are who you surround yourself with, you know, and um, they were just super vulnerable or open or whatever you want to do it. And so it really forced me to begin to try and level up myself as well. Um, And I think as well, how has it evolved? I think I'm getting more clear on the things that really light me up and the topics that I'm, I'm more passionate about speaking about. If that kind of answered your question. Yeah, of course. What would those be? Um, honestly, you did such a good job in the intro with those topics. Um, I love, I'm, I love learning about, uh, minimalism and like intentionality, um, spirituality business. I find very interesting, even though like, I don't have a business and, um, manifestation and like law of attraction as wooey as it is, I truly believe that your thoughts create your reality. And so I just hope that me sharing people's journeys that um are like a representation of that of a manifestation of their dreams i can maybe get someone to begin thinking about like what does their dream life look like or um i don't know whatever it is that lights them up in a way i've been trying to think lately more and more about what pulls people towards different things and one of those things for you seems to be minimalism and what was Mm. the thing that pulled you toward that hmm I, I, okay. So my journey kind of exposed to that was, um, I watched the minimalist documentary. It's called minimalism. And I just thought it was fascinating how people were living alternatively. So taking it even outside of minimalism. And, um, I, as I really explored that and explored people kind of like in that space that speak a lot about it, such as the minimalists or like Colin Wright, um, people like that, uh, I just loved how they were challenging the status quo and they were talking about minimalism, but yet like their relationships were different. They had like different alternative relationships or just their careers were different. And so at the end of the day though, minimalism seemed to kind of break things down and kind of be like the underlying kind of commonality amongst these different topics in a way. And so I just love the intentionality behind things. Like I believe that like, like I try and create an intentional life. I'm intentional with my time, my energy. And so just like my things. And so when I began learning about these things, I ended up going to Australia and I just did an experiment of just traveling with just a carry on. So like I booked a one way ticket and I was moving to Australia, but I tried to just keep my items to like just a carry on bag. And the liberation and the freedom I felt from that was amazing. And so now I have an apartment and like, clearly I, I have way more stuff than a carry on, but it's plants. just, yeah. And yeah. And plants, there's more over here. You just can't see them. <laughs> um, so it's just, I guess the intentionality behind it. And like, I just try and keep that throughout my life now with physical items or relationships that I bring into my life. I really try and um, break it down to the essentials in a way. Did that answer mm-hmm. it? Yeah, of course. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's a bit tangeny, but I that's hope fine. I got that's, there. <laughs> that's what we're here for. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's the, so the Indian caste system I found really interesting in the same vein as minimalism. As you get higher up in the caste system, you become higher and higher to the potentiation of enlightenment. And something 
that you have to do to attain enlightenment in some in some perspective I, I guess is to have more than you actually need and only once you get to that point then can you attain enlightenment so it's kind of this process in which you go from essentially you're just very poor or you're a slave wage or you're a wage slave or actually a slave and then over time through different reincarnations you level up and level up and level up through um, through this karmic debt and over time you get to a point where you enter into a life in which you're very affluent or you or you're born into an affluent family and from there you can attain enlightenment but a big part of enlightenment is the realization that you don't need the things that are around you materialistically and uh the root the root the root idea of buddhism would be that suffering comes from desire or mm. desire is the root of suffering and so i always found that so interesting with minimalism is that the people that tend to undergo the philosophy of minimalism tend to accumulate so many things and only once they've accumulated them and realized that the desire for more things is the root of their suffering is that that's when they break away and that's the the proverbial buddhist enlightenment i that that's what was happening like I worked in retail. I worked at like Aritzia. And so it was very much about like, it's a whole culture. And so I was like in the thick of it. And yeah, that was the thing. I, I had a lot of money at the time. I don't have that much money now. And I was buying all these clothes and things like that. And just even just these little things of like my appearance, I just put so much value in that. And then once I started to like, let go of these items and realizing that, yeah, my joy isn't found in those. My joy is found in experiences especially with the people I love or like coffee, <laughs> I love coffee and just really letting go of that. It's so crazy. Or something that I always think about is um, the minimalists always say this is like, I have a lot of like childhood memories and things like that. Um, or like trinkets and things from my childhood. And I find that's the hardest thing sometimes to let go of. And they always say like the memories are in the memories, not in the things. And so it's almost just like, it's, 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 like as much as I'm like, oh, okay, I'm a minimalist, whatever. It's a constant reevaluation, and like it's constantly going through things again, and just also questioning like, why am I holding on to this so much, or why is it so hard to let go of? And um, yeah, I, I don't know if that it, that kind of took us off course, but I completely agree with what you said. I, I think that was beautiful. In the, last summer, my friend Nathan Paisley, I was on his farm on Victoria Island, and the whole weekend he'd been drinking from this beautiful turquoise mug and his grandfather or his great grandfather had made this mug by hand wow. and it had these unbelievable carvings and it was all written in old germanic and it was just gorgeous and as i was leaving he came up to me and said hey do you want this mug and i i told him no it's like dude get away from me and i just started laughing like, there's no way that i'm taking that mug and the way that he saw it was that he if he if he develops too much attachment to something, I think that's mm. the implicit assumption from his, is that he, if he develops too much attachment, then that's something that can in turn inflict suffering on him at some point. So when he develops too much attachment to something, he just gives it away. Wow. Yeah, or he'll, he'll do some, some type of uh, grand gesture where he'll just kind of get rid of the thing as to say, I am my being in myself. And as I am myself, I don't need to have this thing outside of me to ascribe being to me. And mm. so that was very intense for me. And after I got home, I messaged him and said, Hey, I would, I would love to take that mug from you. 
the next time I see you, if that's something that you still want. But it was, uh, it was very interesting in the moment because I was kind of like, man, you're going to do this to me right now. I do not want your great-grandfather's hand-carved, beautiful German mug. There's also, oh, I could go a different route with that, mm -hmm. like, point of we – should I go there? I, I would yeah, counter like sometimes we put and I, I know that your friend didn't and I know you would appreciate this but like this is another point that I find so interesting in minimalism it's like we say someone was to pass away like your grandma was to pass away and she has this apartment or house full of items and then when she passes away we like inherit all of these items but at the end of the day like I think we hang on to them and I, I'm saying this because this is what I've done in the past and I often hang on to things because I feel obliged to and at the end of the day the items are really weighing me down whether it's financially or just more energetically and psychologically of just knowing that they're there and like oh man I haven't sat on my grandma's chair for a while I should really do that and so it's really just that's been another thing is it's just so freeing and liberating um, because also too at the same time you don't you don't feel that guilt like I love my grandma or whoever it may be and as I I said the memory isn't in all of her items her memories are like here so um yeah i think there's something definitely to that and we have this consumeristic culture that it's just more 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 which doesn't help as well <laughs> where do you think that guilt comes from oh guilt is something i really struggle with um uh are you talking me specifically or just in general i think it's like society we, we put that on each other what do you think the idea of guilt yeah, like, like, what did you mean with the question? Do you mean me specifically or, or society? Like, why do we feel this guilt in general? Both. Both. Um, we can talk society and then go to you. Okay. In one of my podcast episodes, it's our mutual uh, guest, Mike. He brought up the idea, and Dea, um, my friend Dea, they were talking about toxic femininity. And that's something I love to talk about as well, of just like, we often talk about this like toxic masculinity in our society but I do find there is like this toxic feminine of like the guilt and the shame. And I am still exploring that myself. And it's something I definitely struggle with. And for myself personally, I don't know where this guilt comes from. I'm trying to suss it out. That's probably my biggest, my biggest challenge at the moment, if I'm going to be completely honest. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I feel a lot of pressure and guilt and like this shame. And we were talking before even about like cancel culture from our society and the media. So I don't know. It's difficult to express your ideas and really hash out your true thoughts on something out of fear of being canceled often or shamed or shame on you. Like you should feel bad when sometimes we're just trying to navigate who we are. Okay. That's such an interesting jump because there might be a difference between fear and guilt. And that's the way that I see it. But I do think that you're onto mm. something there with the idea of cancel culture actually conflating those two concepts into one where you're guilty of having an idea because of your fear for the repercussions from the broader society mm -hmm. that's often what i feel i'm curious about the fear oh you the fear that was the connection the fear yeah and it's it's like how do we find out who we are when like like i found out who i am most times by by messing up and making mistakes you know and and being able to have a safe space with no judgment to just hash out my thoughts vent rent whatever it might be try on different hats of who i am in my opinion and see what resonates but i feel as though um in, in a whole we don't we don't necessarily have that that space Right. There's this, there's a line that I used in my last introduction for Tyler's podcast where at the end of it, I say that we need to 
we need to have the opportunities to say important ideas poorly, lest we say nothing at all, or lest we say nothing of importance at all. I love it. I love yeah, it. Fun. I, I, I said all my praise prior to us recording about you and like providing the space for people and, and doing a similar thing and seeming, I don't want to put words in your mouth, having a similar intention with your podcast as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The, the genuine goal for me is to just allow a diverse array of perspectives and jumping from someone like Tyler into someone like Mike and being able to bounce off of both of them by not attacking them is something that's mm -hmm. very important to me because as you said, if you feel the family unit is so important for that in my, from my perspective is that being able to actually discuss ideas that you have and bring ideas to flourish and, and the smaller and tight and more tight knit your group is, the more you'll actually be able to parse out what's the right thing to say and the wrong thing to say. Because if you say the right thing, then the people around you are gonna nod their heads a little bit. And if you say the wrong thing, then they're likely not gonna laugh and give you a little bit of a side eye and there's gonna be some silence. And that's how we parse out comedy as well. And we find out what's funny is, whether the crowd laughs or whether the crowd or whether the, the air gets sucked out of the, the, the auditorium or wherever you are. And so I think that's an interesting thing is that you need that area to discuss and hash through your ideas to actually even develop your own personality more. Like it's so, I, I've, I found that that's something with the podcast that I like quite a bit is that I'm actually able to explore the bounds of my conscious thinking and in that way, I actually develop my ideas so much more by discussing mm -hmm. them and talking about them. And there are some ideas that I've talked about early on in whether it be episodes or whatever. And then later on, if I talk about them again, I'm able to actually build onto them so much more and articulate them better. And so that's another thing about being able to actually speak freely. And something that I'm concerned about with the, the entire cancel culture idea is that if you're not able to say something externally to the external world and other people then people are going to find other means to say things and that's something i talked to mike about a little bit i was like this might not be a popular opinion but i'd far rather white supremacists be speaking in public than be speaking in someone's basement because they're a lot less dangerous if they're speaking in public and we actually know what's happening whereas if mm. a bunch of people are getting together in someone's basement then that's when that's when bad things tend to happen when feel things people feel shady. Yeah, when people feel dispossessed and alienated from a society and they don't feel that their perspectives are able to even be taken in and challenged. I think that's the most important thing is challenging someone in good faith because if everyone's in their basement and they're not going to be exposed to alternative perspectives, but if everyone's in the limelight and you actually talk about your ideas and and discuss in good faith the ideas that you have with people that might disagree with you, but you're trying to come to one common truth with them, then you can actually you can actually find that common ground. You can bring people closer together as opposed to pulling them further apart. I love that. I think it's so true. And even like, I think something like expanding on that, like something that I try and remind myself. And I think that often maybe is what causes us to get so swept up in like getting so angry at one another and like um, getting so maybe emotionally invested is like, we just take things personally. And so I find often in these conversations when I'm, you know, maybe it's a more difficult com conversation or the, I know the person has like a completely opposing view than myself. I try and take myself out of it and I take them out of it, you know, whereas I find often, and this is easier said than done, something I struggle with myself, but if, oh, sorry, my computer. Ah. Sorry. Um, <laughs> uh, is that 
often I find when sometimes people maybe get triggered or something like that is because we are taking it personally. When it's like, sometimes we need to look at these things, these opinions and perspectives at face value. I don't know. Do you agree with that? No, of course. Yeah. Whether I disagree with it or not, it's more or less irrelevant. But the fact that you said it's more important than that. I, I definitely, I definitely I agree it. though. It's uh, the concept of space of safe spaces is so interesting to me because especially in the university, I think that the university should be the least, the least safe space of all in terms of, novel ideas and being forced to challenge your preconceived notions about things. And that's something mm. that I find to be sad about the disillusionment and the erosion of the university idea is that it used to be a place I think where, and I never went to this type of university, but I think it was a thing of the past where people would go and they would discuss ideas and you had to defend your ideas with philosophy and facts. And now it's become more of a, I'm not sure. The the psychology that I took, I really enjoyed, but the sociology I took felt to be more of a, a crash course on how to think, not, or not, sorry, a crash course on what to think and not how to think. Mm. And so I think that the inception of safe spaces in the university might be something to do with that, because if you're not able to offend someone in saying something, then, and I mean, I, I, you're, you're definitely right. You're definitely on the right track about not offending the person, but necessarily offending the ideology. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's a it's a different one. Like, um, there's a book. It's called The Fifth Agreement by Don Miguel Ruiz, and he talks a lot about that. That's like the fifth agreement. Like, that's the last one, and and I think it's so important. It's something I write often. Like, don't take it personally, and I find it's applicable in many areas of my life. Like, everything. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. yeah. Do you write a lot? Do I write? Yeah. Or read? Write? Oh, write. Oh. Write, write for uh, now. <laughs> I journal, like, constantly. Um, I toy in and out of writing. It's something that I always want to do more, and the whole shebang, everyone says it. Mm -hmm. But, like, there's that saying of, like, the best way to write is to just sit in the chair and write, you know? Um, when did but you journaling, journaling is huge. Hmm? When did you start journaling? I... When I was like 19, I went through a breakup and I had my, like my awakening or whatever you want to call it, which led me on my journey of spirituality. And I found all these quotes that would resonate with me. So I just rewrite all these quotes in this book. But then once I uh, was setting away on my trip to Australia, my dad handed me a journal and he was like, just write whatever you want, whether it's like your money, like, like what your, your pay is or days you've worked, whatever. And I started using that journal as that. And like, since then i journal constantly i've gone through many journals yeah what do you think the influence of traveling was on you huge <laughs> changed my life um first off it 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 took me outside of my bubble meaning like my family my hometown everything like that so i realized that first off the the world doesn't revolve around me and there's other people living in the world um, but also too, at the same time, it helped me to really figure out who I am without other people's, um, opinion involved, which was great. And like, we were talking earlier about trying on different hats and like making mistakes and, and just getting curious about things. Like when you go traveling, you can be one person this day. And then tomorrow you can decide that like you have these opinions because you're going to a different hostel in a different city and you can just try that out. You meet new people with different um, experiences and perspectives. And then I started to like take those on. So 
that was huge for me just figuring out more about who I am and just kind of questioning like my previous thought narratives and things like that. But another thing was like also too realizing that um, the whole notion of don't talk to strangers is just, it never, it never resonated with me. Like I'm a very chatty like person and I really understood that that is a strength, that is a power. And that's something that innately as human beings, we want to connect and people do meet you where they're at and are innately good people you know there's all the odd ones but usually people are kind and and want the best for you <laughs> when did you start traveling how old were you um i had gone on a trip uh to europe for just like three weeks when i was i think i was 18 and then um i, w- I went to europe i don't know if i said that and then I came back and then I just, I just went to Australia. I haven't like travel traveled because it's been COVID. So I've only been to like Australia, New Zealand, Bali, but nothing like too exotic. Um, <laughs> so I was 20 when I went to Australia. I think you brought up a really cool point that I've been pondering a while for traveling. I talked to someone about it a while ago. I can't remember who, but we were discussing what it means to be an individual within an environment and what it means when the individual is taken out of that environment and put into a different one and mm. the parts of the individual that are retained compared to the environmental influences that have a governing force over your personality to some extent. And I thought that, that was one of the, both a great burden and also a great potential life changer of traveling is that if you leave your environment and you're not around the people that influence you to be who you are because you have family that's going to ex- expect to see you in some light and you're going to have friends to that you that expect to see you in another light and then when you go and travel somewhere else you're more or less a little bit lost at first because you don't have the people influencing you and you're not at that point forced to negotiate your personality with other people and you as you said you get to choose your own personality and in that sense, you're actually able to solidify it over time as long as you're able to keep up a consistent personality. Mm-hmm. I, I completely agree. And I, I don't know about you, and I'd be curious your perspective about that of just like, yeah, since I have gone traveling, I do feel as though I'm very adaptable to certain situations and like I'm very empathetic. And I think that that is a, a strength, but like, yeah, I do know more about myself. So even no matter what space I enter, I kind of know more about who I am. Whereas once I went traveling, at first, I understood how much external people and situations um, did impact how how I showed up. You know, I was able to just be like, who is Emma? No makeup, just like whoever she is. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, how do I want to be? And um, yeah, traveling was huge for that. How, how do you think, how do I word the question back to you? I'm just going to say it back to you. Like, how do you think, do you think you feel more secure in who you are? And I know this is probably like such an obvious question, but um, since you were exposed to all these different environments. Yeah, I think that I'm able to be a chameleon in a lot of environments. If there are people in a group, I know that I can, for the most part, get them to like me. And something that <laughs> I realized, something that I realized more and more while traveling was that I was actually able to leverage that to the extent that I was able to choose who I got to like me. There was a guy, I was in Thousand Islands in the south of Laos, and we were hanging out for a while, and I didn't exactly get the greatest vibe from him, and we had kind of gone to a a restaurant together, because we came in on a boat, and him and I were hanging out and talking, and he, uh, we were in the same hostel, and I was going to go walk around the island a little bit, and 
he he asked me if I wanted to go to an opium den with him. And I was like, no, that doesn't sound like something that I'd like to do. But I'm very agreeable. So I'm I'm very prone to saying yes to everything. And the more that I was able to actually develop a relationship with myself, I was able to understand that I didn't have to make I didn't have to be in a position where everyone liked me and I was willing to put myself out for other people mm. like me. And so I was able to both accept that chameleon-like aspect of myself where I could have people like me. And then after I realized that, I was able to say, okay, well, now that I know that, then I don't, I don't have to do that anymore. I can actually mm -hmm. choose who I, get to, who I get to like, essentially, because before it was everyone, please like me. They would, yeah. they would just like, I, I, need, I need this. I need this for myself. Mm -hmm. You guys have to like me. And then it got to a point where I realized, well, now I can actually choose who I like. And then in turn, it just becomes a much more organic relationship where you're just able to be yourself and you're able to slowly strip off the masks and the personas until you come down to who you are. And I think that that's something really interesting once you commit to that and commit to telling the truth to people essentially and telling the truth to yourself. There's this quote by Francis Bacon that I really like and it's, um, if it be well measured, to say that a man lieth is as much to say as that he is brave toward God as a coward toward men. And I thought that was beautiful in the perspective of also being a coward towards yourself if you're not able to tell the truth and not only to others, but also to yourself. And so I, I really like that idea in that if you're able to be truthful to yourself and truthful to other people, then you're actually able to find out who you are and what truth is to you. I love it, dude. I think <laughs> you say it so well, and then I'm just like, I, I don't know how to counter it. Like <laughs> what to what to add to this. It's beautiful. I couldn't agree more though. And like, I got too wrapped up in what you said that I, I lost my train of thought. Give me two seconds. Do you edit your podcast? I forgot to ask. Sorry. No, I don't. <laughs> I ask now. It was funny. I actually talked to Tyler about this uh, because I listened to almost all of your episodes over the past week. And oh, thanks, man. Yeah, of course. If you have a, <laughs> if you have a really high uptick in viewers, it's probably me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, something that I talked to Tyler about was the ed editing videos and editing podcasts because I, I don't edit mine mostly because I just like the sound of my own voice. So I found it really difficult to listen to when I first started. And then that just became the, just the regular was not editing it. And mm -hmm. I talked to him a little bit about yours because I was like, I've been listening to this podcast lately and I really like it. And sometimes she edits things and I really, there are points where you're talking about something and then you shift to another idea through an edit. And I really want to know what's in the middle there because I love watching as a conversation evolves and the, the different forms that it takes over times and how ideas come to, to switch it. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's like, mm -hmm. it's like watching a flower bloom, but it's like watching a flower be one and something to do with conversation is you watch a flower as it's a pod. And then mm -hmm. the next thing, you know, like it's, it's green in its pod. And then the next thing, you know, it's this big, beautiful red hibiscus flower and you go, well, how the hell did that happen? And that's something that I sometimes think when I listen to yours is well, we were just a green pod and now we're in the middle of this thing and <laughs> it's gorgeous. The lights on. Yeah. Exactly. Right. <laughs> the, the editing process, like, that is something that like, um, I don't know if you, if you've heard through the podcast, like when I first started, it was highly edited. I never spoke. I never shared any personal information and it's something I really let go of now. And I find that often the only time I do edit now is for, moments like that when I ask oh did you edit or or if my guest 
because okay so this is something do you want me to go on this do you want me to yes, riff please, on this please, please. okay um because it's something i've thought about quite often as well i have another friend who has a great podcast um very similar to mine we interview similar guests he doesn't edit his either and so um we've talked about this many times and i found for myself for the i've chosen for right now who knows i might change my mind but for now i've chosen the option of editing my podcast over not in hopes of connecting deeper with my guests, because at the end of the day, my main intention with the podcast is to connect with someone else on a deeper level, whether regardless of anyone listens to the episode or not. And so I often find that, and, and maybe it's, maybe this is just my own interpretation, but the guest knowing that if say, if you say something wrong or, or say you say something too personal that you don't feel comfortable sharing on the podcast, if someone else's narrative is involved, I can edit it out if that makes sense because mm -hmm. I find oftentimes my guests open up a bit more and will even have like kind of off the air conversations of like, hey, like don't put this in. Um, but yeah, I do think that there is so much strength and there is so much positive to just keeping the conversation whole organic and, and hearing the evolution. So I try to keep it to a minimum now, but yeah, it took me a while to get to that point. No, that is so reasonable. And I do really like that perspective of because I think that, that there's, a, there's an inkling of honesty that comes along with that, where if someone's able to share in a conversation with you rather than a bunch of guests, which is, I think, the, the best podcasts that I have are just a conversation with an individual rather than me putting on a performance for a bunch of faceless beings that I'm going to be, yeah. they're going to be listening, exactly. And so <laughs> I, I do, I do really respect, I respect that, that philosophy a lot. I think that that's actually really mm -hmm. cool. Thank you. Yeah. It took me a while to really suss it out and like see what worked for me. And that's where I'm at at the moment. Um, I'm trying to see if I remember my tangent on, on what we we're speaking about earlier, but I don't know if I do, if I'll have we, it. We were discussing <laughs> truth. If uh, we're discussing truth and the idea of being honest with yourself and mm. by being honest with other people, finding a deeper connection to the honesty within yourself. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I don't know what to expand on that further than just being like, I feel like that is the purpose of life, like to just to uncover these these parts of ourselves and, and figure out who we are. And, and for myself, at least, like for people that are scared, because it's scary, it's scary figuring that shit out and taking your mask off and asking yourself these hard questions. But and like I say this, and I remember hearing people saying it before, and I'd be like, oh, yeah, but they don't have like these thought patterns or, or like they don't have this issue, et cetera. But I've just found, especially in this past year, when I just show up authentically, I have found the most beautiful humans in my life and the most beautiful community that even this weekend, my friends would share things. And I thought, fuck, not only did I think that I could never share that with someone else, let alone, I never thought someone else had a similar thought or like experienced something similar, or had similar emotions. So yeah, that's what I'll add to that. It's a weight, right? It just, <laughs> it's, it's like a, it makes me think of the myth of Sisyphus. Have you ever heard of that? No. What is it? So Sisyphus is the, the being that was forced to push a boulder uphill for the entirety of his life and essentially mm. he would get to the top of the hill and then the boulder would roll down and then he would have to go and get the boulder and roll it back up and when you mentioned that i thought of it in the perspective of being honest with other people as decreasing the weight of that boulder mm. we're always going to be in some sort of uphill battle in the world and the more that we can actually shed off our weight or shed off the weight that we carry on our shoulders from whether it be adolescent trauma or something that's happened to us in the past, the more that we can shed that off and share that load with other people, then 
the lighter the load becomes for our own lives. I completely agree. And even like, I don't know if this is like going off of it, but like once I started implementing curiosity as cliche as it sounds with the name of my podcast, but once I started implementing it in other areas of my life beyond just like topics that I was interested in, such as like minimalism or tiny homes, whatever you want to call it, but, um, and started questioning and getting curious about my thought patterns and who I am, what are my values and approaching these questions with a neutral emotion. So like no judgment. Cause I find that curiosity is like a neutral thing. And that's why I love it. Cause it's like, it's not good nor bad. Like when I'm curious about something, I don't have a hidden agenda. I'm not trying to like ask you something and then be like, well, did you think about this? It's like, I play devil's advocate. Cause I want to know your idea further, not cause I have a, an agenda I want to push. And so once I started getting curious about these, like for, for me, to be honest, the past year, it's been like these thought patterns that I have and these narratives that um, run through my head. It's just been so liberating for me um, as well. And yeah, I feel as though I completely feel as though that boulder just becomes smaller and smaller. And I mean, it's a continuous journey in our life. And I think it's a never ending thing, but we can definitely make it easier. <laughs> How do you think the thought patterns evolve over time? How do I think thought patterns evolve over time? Mm -hmm. hmm. So I'll give an example. I, yeah. If, if you if you want some time. No, I, I just want you to unbox it a bit more further okay. for me. Sure if thing. that's okay. Yeah, of course. So there's this concept of growth mindset, and I talked a little bit about it with Trevor Reagan on my podcast uh, a while ago. I'm not sure whose episode is going to come out first. Maybe this will be an <laughs> advertisement for the future. Either way, uh, stay tuned. <laughs> yeah, so something that I talked about with Trevor is the idea of growth mindset and how, and essentially it's the idea of when we're learning about something, you can have the idea that an individual is fixed in their ability or that they can grow regardless of their current station. So even if you have a kid that has an IQ of say 95 compared to a kid of 115, you don't actually understand the full potential of either of those. And by investing in both of them equally, then you're going to grow them both exponentially for their own individual self. And there's this, there's this interesting paper where they took uh, the differences between individuals with IQs and measured them against other individuals with a lower IQ, but higher trait conscientiousness. And conscientiousness is the trait of hard work, ability, willingness to push through. I talked to Danielle Cormier, and she's a researcher in the area of grit, athletic grit kind of thing. Yeah. And so, so grit kind of ties into conscientiousness and well, yeah, yeah, that's right. And so they took these two groups and said the, if you have an IQ of 115 or an IQ of a hundred, but you're high, but you're very high in conscientiousness, you can actually do as well as someone that's innately higher in IQ. And so those ideas that once you learn things like that, then you're able to look at the world a little bit differently. And I think that that changes the pattern of thought. And another example that actually I was listening to your podcast with, it was one of your first few episodes and someone was talking about the idea of just doing something, just do it. And I had heard that a few times before that particular moment. And I had been contemplating for quite a while as to trying to figure out actually how to post on TikTok. I almost called it Vine. So old. And uh, so no I, one understands that comparison. I just want to acknowledge that you see that comparison. I brought it up before, and people are like, "What?" I'm like, "Oh, 
just me? They're literally the exact same. It's the same thing. Yeah. yeah. And I loved Vine. Okay, go on. So, Sorry. So what, what she said was, she essentially, she was like, just do it. Just do it. Just do it. And that's always been a mentality that I held. But hearing it that one time, I, I had three drafts. And my idea was to have four drafts before I started posting. And I just, I just couldn't make the fourth draft. I kept on procrastinating, kept on procrastinating. And then finally, I just heard her say that and was like, God, I just have to do it. Just do it. And then, so that was uh, an example of how my method of thought had changed because of one particular situation. But I think that happens all the time. And kind of in the sense of the growth mindset versus fixed mindset where you have the opportunity to grow and no individual is fixed in their ability. I think that's another area where when someone hears that and they understand that, I think that completely changes their perspective on learning. Mm -hmm. And even just like life in general, like I mm -hmm. personally, I don't believe in failure. Like I don't think that things can be a failure. Like when you have the growth mindset, it's like, I'm going to learn something from this. And as shitty as times can be, it's like, we're always going to learn. And I don't know, like when, when an opportunity arises and if I have some interest in, in like, it feels an alignment, it's just like, yes, there can be like, okay, well, what if it doesn't work out, whatever. But it's like, to me, like, I just, I don't view it as failure. You just, you're going to learn from it. And I think that that is just such an important thing. And I, we often let the fear of failure get in the way, you know? And, and I think I completely agree. Once you understand this whole growth versus fixed mindset thing, like it's, it completely changes things for, for a long time. I felt that way, but I didn't have the vocabulary for it. And then once I started learning about like that concept, is it concept? Mm -hmm. Sorry, there's some noise out, outside my building. Um, it just completely changed things for me. It's, uh, it's, it's very interesting how quickly that happens. And I really like the idea that you had about not being able to actually fail at things, but instead just learn from them. I, mm -hmm. Last last week, I was supposed to do a podcast with a guy on Wednesday, and his name is Dustin Watton. And I had been trying to get him on for a really long time. He's he's on the USA men's volleyball team, and he he's been he's been quite hesitant. And so la last Wednesday was supposed to be our day, and we were supposed to go at nine thirty. And so I wake up, I come into the room, get everything set up, we're all good to go. I send him the link at nine twenty, and then he doesn't respond. And it's 9.45. I'm like, oh, man, this guy. This, this, I, I don't know if he's going to show up. This sucks. Can't believe this guy. And then I go back and check our messages. And we actually agreed on nine. And so I, then my mind immediately went to, wow, I totally just stood this guy up. I am the worst. And this whole time I'd been thinking to myself, wow, I can't believe this guy is just, he's not going to show up. He's going he's gonna to ghost me, whatever. And I just lay down on the ground and just let myself sulk for 20 minutes. And then I just, I, I think I, I let myself experience an emotion as much as it's valuable to me. And then the first thing that I feel like I'm having diminishing returns, I just start journaling about it. And in my journal, I wrote down, okay, this is something that I can learn from. I've got to dot my, I've got to cross my T's and dot my I's. I have to really understand the timing and scheduling and make sure that everything is prepared beforehand and have everything out in the open so that I, I know what's going on. And this was essentially a form of laziness that I hadn't done everything properly. And then at like 10.30, he sent me a message and said, dude, I totally thought that we were getting together tomorrow. My bad. Let's reschedule for next week. And so I messaged him and said, wow, that was, a, that was free. 
that was something that was a free mistake. Thank you so much. Yeah, Can't wait to that. chat. But it was interesting that, and I think that's uh, that's that's also a kind of Buddhist concept. I did a lecture a while ago on. Uh, it's called ego is the ally, and it talks about how actually understanding how we learn is really important. And I kind of approach it from a, a bunch of different perspectives. But at the end, I psychoanalyze this painting called the wheel of yama or the wheel of sansara and it's the wheel of time the wheel of death and one of the things that i touch on is the idea of the descent into hell in religion is often associated with a descent into some kind of depression or anxiety and often the point at which we hit rock bottom and this is something that i was actually trying to figure out while i was writing this and while i was i'm still trying to figure it out is whether rock bottom is mentally constructed by ourselves whether there's actually a place where we hit where there's no way that we can descend any further or whether we hit a place and decide to ourselves this is it this is the mm -hmm. place where i'm saying no more i'm getting back up i'm i'm on the incline again i'm going back to heaven i'm i'm tired of this bullshit that's super interesting i keep losing my train of thought <laughs> um I love what you shared though. And I love like going back to you just talking about feeling the emotion. Like, I think that's so important to begin with. And I, I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah. I, I really do think like there's even two in like those mistakes that we make, there's an opportunity to just like connect and be human again. You know what I mean? Like even that, that guy reaching out to you and be like, man, I'm so sorry. Like he's just expressing he's human. We all make mistakes. And I love the notion of what did you say? It was a free mistake. Yeah. And and like we're all human. We all fuck up. And sorry, I keep swearing. I hope that's okay. No, no. Yeah, um, you can say whatever you like. Okay. <laughs> um and it, it it I don't know. I just find that often like even we hear about people's mistakes. You think about the most successful people, we always want to digest what was their mistake so we don't make them and things like that and there's just so much value in learning about them. I read Mastery by Robert Greene lately and mm, something that I really list. Is it? It's really yeah. it's very good. Yeah something that I liked was just the exploration of the development of the people that he covers, because it's essentially a, a biographical slash psychological book where he follows people that have made huge leaps and bounds of success and attained mastery. Mm -hmm. And then he looks at these individuals and compiles the commonalities between their stories. And something common between them is this consistent up and down. And this, there's always failure involved and none of these people have shot to the top of success without any vicissitude or negative experiences in their lives. It's normally actually rife with negative experiences. And those are the things that actually drive them. And a lot of the acquisition of mastery is predicated on one's ability to experience negativity in their lives and experience hell in some sense, you hit your rock bottom and then you get back up and do the exact same thing over and over again. Or not the exact same thing, but you learn from it. That's insanity, but yes. Right. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I completely agree. And like, that's the whole idea, I guess, of like meditation is just like sitting in that discomfort and just, you know, and, and maybe not attaching labels to it. Easier said than done. But yeah, like life isn't always easy breezy. And that's something I think for myself too, that I'm trying to suss out of just like, there's always going to be problems. And so it's not a matter of like overcoming, oh, once I get this problem, I'll be fine. Once I overcome this problem, it's learning how to like navigate those problems and also too like um i find that 
success we can is interpreted like how you define success is going to be might be completely different than how I define success so I don't think that there's one specific way but I in 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 the past conversations I've had on my podcast or in my life I had conversations with people that I view as very successful and I often find that hearing about their success story is that what I've learned is there's no such thing as an overnight success you know, and you see these people and like their, their business is kicking off. And I just interviewed these people that own this like, um, clothing company called Stacks. And they were like, yeah, our, we're growing insane amounts at the moment. But he was like, it took me eight years to get here. I was $80,000 in debt before I got to this point, you know, but I had been looking at them. I'd been following them for like two to three years now. And I was like, yeah, you guys just like totally kicked off easy breezy, but it's so interesting to peel back the layers and see that like, no, it wasn't, it wasn't that simple, you know? I listened to that yeah. episode. I really liked how open and honest he was about the difficulties that he found in starting the business. And I think that that's something that's, I think it helps people a lot to know that they're not alone. Mm-hmm. And a part of that being, like you said, nobody's an overnight success. And so to hear about people struggling, whether that be economically or, in terms of mental health, I think that's something that's very cool about the, a lot of athletes sharing their experiences with mental health is that younger people are able to go, oh, this is kind of normal. I'm not mm. totally alone in this. Like when, I was, when I was quite young, I, was, I went through this big bout of depression and just had absolutely no idea what it was. And in that way, I don't think I was able to get out of it for a really long time because I just had no idea. I just didn't know what was mm-hmm. really going on. It was just that I was super tired all the time. And I thought I was just growing, which eventually I did. But <laughs> I, I think it's, I couldn't agree more with you. Like just having a vocabulary for things or just having someone else express it or, or you express something and someone else saying like, yeah, I get it. Is, that, is, that is a human experience, but even that in itself is so healing, I find. You know, I, I totally agree. That was me with attachment styles. <laughs> once I had the like once I had the vocabulary for how I was feeling I was like okay there isn't something wrong with me I mean there's areas for me to improve and grow and heal but um I'm not insane or like I just couldn't figure out why I was feeling these ways if that makes sense so yeah I would, I would totally combine that with uh Gary Goodman love languages where, yes <laughs> and I, I think that also ties into what we were talking about earlier with the thought patterns in once you understand things a little bit better and have definitions Mm -hmm. for things and a general understanding of how they work, it actually helps you to create efficiency in your life. Once I understood my love languages a lot better, that made me understand number one, how I interacted with people. And then I tried to kind of expand my other love languages so that I could experience those as well. And then really dive into the ones that I knew were the most important to me. And then I was also able to observe others and realize what their love languages were and that was just through how they acted implicitly. And so people would, that would randomly give gifts or something. I was like, oh, you're, you're a gifter. Oh, geez. Oh, yeah. gosh. And then you occasionally get them something. And I found that really fun. Yeah. Because it's often it's like, say, like your gift, your love language was gift giving. And mine is like words of affirmation. And you kept giving me gifts. I'm like, what the hell? Like, Josh, why doesn't Josh love me? Like, 
he never tells me how he feels, but it's like understanding that, like, that's what happened with me and my partner. Like I often am always like, I love you, like things like that. And I'm very words of affirmation, whereas his is for sure acts of service. And I have to sometimes like re-collaborate and be like, whoa, let me just witness all the love that he just shared with me um, over however amount of time. And like, that's, that's the whole point. I think that's like the foundation of this thing is like, the more you learn about yourself, the more you like, it just goes down to like, not necessarily minimalism, but just like, once you become curious about yourself and you know who you are, I feel like that's been kind of like a theme in this. It's like, no matter what your external environment is, you feel like secure in yourself or like what we're talking about now, it helps you navigate relationships better. It helps you build your life in a better, more fulfilling way. Yeah. I think it's, very important for sure. How would you define being successful in the guise of curiosity? In the eyes of curiosity. In the guise of curiosity. I guess both. Both of those work. Can like, you define guise for me? Uh, the. That's a good question. <laughs> G U I S E. Uh, the. Essentially, the realm. In so so yeah. that would uh, maybe I'll yeah I'll, I'll redefine it that way, or re ask it that way. How would you, how would you define success in the realm of curiosity? So when you're being curious, how, how do you put the star on yourself that says you've been successful in an exploration? I say two things off the top of my head is I'm going to go back to what I said before, not taking things personally. So removing yourself from it, whether it's previous knowledge you have on the topic or just like your own identity and things like that. And then having an open mind when you are curious and allowing, like saying maybe what I thought before or how I identified before could totally be disrupted by this. Um, and also two, I would say courage. Um, when you have the courage to ask the more difficult conversations, because I often find when I'm curious about something, I can ask all the surface conversations and it gets to those questions I have. And I'm like, Oh God, now I'm going to start asking this person like their thoughts on death and like, <laughs> maybe just the more touchy things that I'm even a bit nervous to ask. So those would be like how I would define success within curiosity. How do you adopt? So on the first one, how do you adopt the idea of questioning your preconceived belief? I've found that that's to be especially hard when discussing with people because mm. I think a lot of the time people, so, so there's these, there are these axioms of belief and essentially an axiom is the, I would describe it visually as the pillar that holds up the foundation or it's the, the foundation that you've actually built yourself on. So you would say that one of the axioms of science is the theory of evolution. And the majority of science is based that this theory actually exists and it works. And so if we end up pulling that, then a lot of scientific thought actually collapses underneath the weight of the inability to hold itself up under the now vanished foundation. And so how have you cultivated a perspective where you're actually able to be curious and ask questions that you're essentially preparing yourself to over time erode the things that you once believed? And so, so the, the point that I'm making with the axioms is that a lot of the times I think people put the axiom that they are correct in things above the axiom that they potentially could be wrong about things. So maybe you could say that one axiom would be the belief in the scientific method that you put all the hypotheses out there and you weigh all of the variables. And as time goes on, you're able to eliminate, eliminate the potential hypotheses that don't, that aren't confirmed by all of the different inputs that you put into it. And then this axiom of 
being correct in something is, I think, what people fall into when they start to ascribe to some type of ideology where they believe something exists and even if they are confronted by evidence of the contrary, they're still able to hold on to that thing. And I think that that's the, I, I think that's the difference between those two. Mm -hmm. There's like, I feel like there's like almost two parts to it. Is that, mm -hmm. um, I, I, so if we're going to look at it, I don't, I'm trying to think of which would be better to start it. Okay. So let, let's go on the axiom of why don't you think that you're right about everything and mm. approach every single question that you do approach with that preconceived notion of uh, blindful correctness. I think, and I, as cliche as it is, but I think cliches are cliches for a reason. Like mm -hmm. the more you know, the like the more what is the saying like the the more you know the more you like know that you don't know anything or what is it why can i it's think the, of it? right it's the, it's the socratic paradox is all that, that i is? all that i know is that all that i know is that i do not know exactly right I, the more that you know about something the more that you understand how little you know about everything literally and that's how i feel about life <laughs> like but and so i think just acknowledging that is so powerful and like even me sitting here and like you talking about using words that go over my head and things like that i'm just going to acknowledge i'm going to put my ego aside and just try not to get embarrassed and just be like dude i need you to reword that can you unbox it for me and i think that's huge um just really like not taking things personally and just just being honest and just acknowledging that like yeah i i don't know everything um if that kind of answers that part of it for mm -hmm. sure so, yeah. now how do you, so now how do you approach it from the i would say scientific perspective where using that your foundation yeah exactly yeah it's a scary thing i will acknowledge that um for me, I can only speak from my perspective and, and, but for me, what I found was journaling was huge for me because I completely agree with you when you're saying, when we're kind of like trying to figure out these ideas, it's hard to do that in a group. Sometimes I need to know my thoughts before I express them to a group at sometimes. Mm -hmm. Um, and so really just doing, taking the action of, of journaling and writing things out and something else I found along that, that, that journey that I'm, I'm, I'm currently on as well of just like allowing yourself to feel and to mourn those parts of yourself that are maybe dying or getting crushed or being stripped out from underneath you, because it can be like a physical experience that you have of, of, of mourning these past selves and past ideas that you used to identify with. Um, and I do want to like regurgitate that just having safe spaces where, and having, having the experience of, of being met with unconditional love has really helped me internally meet myself with unconditional love um, as well. So if you can have those safe spaces externally, I didn't have it for a long time. So if you don't at the moment, that is totally fine. You will find your tribe at some point, um, but just build that relationship with yourself at the time. Yeah. When, when did you start reading? Um, like properly to like, to the extent that I read now, I was, uh, I think I was 18 or 19. My dad gave me The Voice of Knowledge by Don Miguel Ruiz, and that just, my brain exploded. <laughs> it's a beautiful book. I, I highly recommend it. Yeah. What do you say the impact of, has been on reading? I'm, I'm trying to figure out what the benefits of reading actually are. Hmm. For me, I know that it is the easiest way I learn. Like, I know that's not the same for other people. Like, my partner, 
he's not the same. He likes to listen to things. Whereas for myself, I like to look at the words, write on the book, um, rewrite a lot of the concepts and things like that. And so for me, I find just as podcasts, similar to the notion of podcasts, is it really is enables you to unbox an idea and go really in depth and kind of explore all the corners of a topic. I find through a book, through ways that I couldn't find in like other mediums probably. And for me personally, reading has opened my mind to different perspectives. And as I said before, but it just really has put vocabulary to thoughts and feelings that I had had in the past, but I didn't know how to express to people. And like, if you can't express that and communicate that to other people, it's like, how are you gonna, like, if I don't know what I want in a relationship, how can I say that to my partner of like, these are like kind of the, not like, I call them policies, but just like kind of expectations that I have in a relationship, right? So especially, yeah, and especially if your thoughts and your perspectives aren't represented in the mainstream media, I will say that too. So what what kind of books do you read? I'm asking this because you're clearly a very well thought person. And I would say well learned as well. And uh, it's it's actually so fun to listen to the podcast, to your podcast from beginning beginning to end is because you've number one, I think developed a lot more personality in terms of the personality that your podcast has undertaken. And also you've become far more well-spoken, which I think is very cool to listen to <laughs> over time. It's such an, it's such an interesting evolution. And so yeah, what, what type of books do you read? What, what kind of uh, knowledge do you consume? I, I love nonfiction and I'm trying to explore more fiction. Um, I, I call the term self-exploration or self-discovery, um, but usually they're at chapters or the bookstore itself. Um, what is it? Self-development. Mm-hmm. Um, I love those um, as much as sometimes people say that like it's a repetition, but sometimes the repetition is good or what you pick up, what like what resonates with you might not resonate with me. Um, I also just love if, if there is a topic I'm interested in, I love to read a book about it, but I do find that like, I'm really trying to get more into fiction books as well, because I find that it's even more powerful when a fiction book can provide the same insights and like perspectives and wisdom that a self-development book can, but it's through a creative way. And I, I used to identify someone that's like not creative and like, that's not my innate kind of nature, but, um, which is false, another narrative I'm trying to let go of. But I do find that it's super powerful when you can read a fiction novel that um, does that. So yeah, I love I love self-development and spirituality or like relig- different religions, things like that. Have you ever read The Alchemist by Cahol? Yes, love that one. That was, that was in my opinion, <laughs> one of the greatest self-help books I've ever read. Completely agree. And like, that's what I mean is like that in regards to me saying that fiction thing, if, if it can if it can have such a powerful message in such a creative way, I think that that just blows my mind. People that can write things like that, I'm just so impressed by. When you write, what kind of things do you write? Uh, I would say like nonfiction, just like my thoughts or, or different ideas that I have. I like writing about manifestation and like the power of the mind and things like that. I don't what? share like I mean not that I don't share like I'm I'm willing to talk about it but like Mm -hmm. people don't read it I I really want to explore that side of myself a lot further Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. as in as in you like to write more and understand that more Mm. yeah and see how far I can take it and really see what I can create what is your creative process Ooh, great question I'm gonna write this down and journal about it later um 
I've never been asked that before. And I've never even asked myself that. I'm very a visual person. So I don't know if this counts as a correct answer, but I, I usually think of the, the things first. I love to daydream and things like that. And then, um, I don't know if this is the right answer, but I'm just going to tell you no, what I'm no feeling. No such thing. <laughs> okay. Um, then usually once I have this idea in a structure, or sorry, like when I have side of like what this ideal is going to feel like or whatever this is that I'm going to create or do, then I usually try to have like some visual visual representation of that. Usually that is through images. I love to like have like a vision board or like a storyboard or whatever it may be. Um, and then from there, I kind of niche down and break it up into like, okay, so this is the elaborate painting I want to do. Well, first step is to like start drawing the lines in pencil. Okay. I'll do that. You know, I, this isn't an accurate example, but then I'll do the pen and I just take it. I like kind of like to break it down. Just a bigger idea. So sorry, dude. No, no, you're fine. My computer died. It was at 90% when I, when we started, so. <laughs> Fast dying computer slash yeah. long conversations. I forgot I was exporting a video as we were talking as well, so. <laughs> how long do you tend to go for your episodes? I allow it to like go however long it wants. People always ask me that, um, but usually it's around an hour, sometimes a bit longer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, I, I like the, I like the longer form format conversations myself i do too i normally the a guy recently that dustin Watton guy he recently asked how long the episodes normally go for and i told him just to schedule out three hours but if he had to leave sooner then that was fine i agree i've, I've done some three hour ones and like halfway through i'm like okay i'm gonna get a snack like <laughs> <laughs> washroom break yeah i did one with uh my friend owen leader and we talked about the impacts of drug addiction and halfway through it was so funny the whole time he was so fluid so well spoken and then we just hit this point where i go on this big monologue and then it cuts to him and he just starts mumbling and stuttering and then he goes dude i'm so sorry i have to pee really bad <laughs> okay get out of here I, I cut it but it was it was my i laughed i was so gonna hard. say did you edit that out because like <laughs> but I, I did that with mike too mike had to pee and i'm gonna leave that in because i thought it was also funny it's we're human <laughs> the realities of a podcast yeah that is true it's so true okay um do you do art a lot is that something you do often no i i um i really try and flex that muscle more um and like i got like a paint by numbers like an adult version like i really try um it just doesn't resonate for me but i guess you could say art is different things so like i love reading and i like writing um and i do find with my job i am in marketing so i create things or I create with my podcast so those would be the ways I think that I I flex that muscle do you think in words or do you think in images Ooh, I'm gonna say both and maybe that's a cop-out um but words are huge for me vocabulary is huge for me um but at the same time the visual things um I do like a lot of like like I, like I said I have vision boards and things like that too which help I was gonna say what what topics do you normally gravitate towards thinking in visual compared to thinking in words? Ooh, I would say like, I don't know if this counts, but I keep saying that, um, but goals and, and just kind of the, I'm, I'm very much about like build, like building your dream life and like lifestyle design. And like, you can create whatever it is that you feel in your heart that lights you up. And so 
of those things and like where I want to go with my life, that is something that I definitely have as a visual representation of like what I want my space to look like, what I want my diet to look like, what I want my external environment to be. Um, that is usually when I do, um, when, when it is visual, sorry. Do you practice meditation ever? Yes. How'd you get into that? Um, I had heard about it all the time, like everywhere, especially like when you're, when you're interested in like self-development and spirituality and things like that. And so I remember I would sit, um, this was still when I lived at home, like before I went away on my trip and everything, I would sit in um, my room in my mom's house. I tell my mom, I'm going to meditate. Don't talk to me. I put a timer on for five minutes. I'd sit on the floor, like in this uncomfortable spot and just sit there and try and stop my mind. Like it was a very not fun process. And so then I had tried, like I had tried many different things like headspace and things like that. And then I'm not too sure what made it click, but I know one of my friends had, had recommended waking up by Sam Harris. And then I just kept hearing it everywhere. And I listened to Sam Harris, um, like on podcasts and things like that. So I got the app and what I, I really talk about, like to other people, like just in general, is like, you need to learn how to meditate. It's not like this thing we just do. I mean, ironically, it is that. It is something that we just do and it is something that ironically you cannot teach, you cannot put into words, etc. But I did find maybe just learning more about how our brain works and, and just kind of validating these feelings or these worries that we have maybe when we first begin meditating such um, really helped. So he has like a 50-day um thing you can do through his app and so I started with that and then now I just meditate daily um just kind of on my own whatever I'm resonating with sometimes it's guided sometimes it's not there's this really fun Buddhist parable that I like a lot and so this king was trying to find out how to meditate and nobody could properly teach him how to meditate they kept on trying to tell him to slow his mind and stop his mind and focus on breathing and all of these other things and finally he heard word that there was a bodhisattva hermit in the mountains and so he went to, to seek this bodhisattva and he finds him in this cave and he goes over to him and says hello i'd like you to teach me how to meditate and the bodhisattva is looking at him and then he closes his eyes and he sits there for four hours and the king sits there for four hours watching him waiting 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 and finally he taps him on the knee and he says i would like you to teach me how to meditate and the Bodhisattva says, I've been teaching you for the past four hours. Sit down. And I love it. Yeah, I always like that idea. The, and it is in Buddhism, it's often called the practice. And that's what it is. It's something that you'll never actually be successful at or in. And it's something that's a lifelong journey. And it's actually not something to, that you seek out to be good at because it's always something you're going to be practicing. And same with any type of sport. I started to take that into sport and reading and learning how to do anything, learning how to write. It's always a practice because you're never going to actually reach a finish line because mm -hmm. the goal of the, the goal of the behavior itself is to just do the behavior and to actually look for something at the end is going to inevitably diminish the process itself. And I guess that kind of goes back to what I was talking about earlier where, I was talking about something earlier, but I've forgotten it. Um, I'm I'm trying to think of the connection. I, I would I would prompt you, but I'm I can't read uh, your mind. <laughs> yeah, it seems as though you can, but apparently not. 
<laughs> no, I, I completely agree. It's, it's like working out. You don't just like do it one day and you get to a certain strength level and you're like, cool, I'm done. I hit mm-hmm. my goal. It's like, it's a every day. It's a new day, you know? Um, and even like, it's, there's different elements. Like sometimes I, I can sit here in my apartment and it's quiet and I put my headphones in, but sometimes I'm meditating in an airport and it's like, that's hard. That's a challenge in itself, you know? So yeah. Do you have, would you say that you have a chaotic life? No, I wouldn't say that. No, I don't. I don't like that word. It, it gives me, it's like busy. I hate the word busy. And I often, I, I, it's still in my vocabulary and I really want to remove that or remove maybe the experiences that are creating that feeling or that use of the word. Yeah, we were talking about that a little bit before we started recording and how you're looking to create more space in your days. What does that mean? Mm-hmm. So I often find that like throughout my life, my I've always been in like this like masculine, like productivity energy of just like I wake up at this time. I'm very disciplined. I don't have an issue with that. I wake up at a time, I do my morning routine. And like, especially when I, I used to start at my other job, I started at 7.30 a.m. And so I would wake up at like 4.45 because people think I'm weird, but my morning routine is so important to me. But it turned into this like experience of like, I'd wake up, I'd make my coffee, I'd read my book and then I'd meditate. And it was like, so regimented. And so I just never liked that. First of all, I never liked this rushing and just, I don't feel in a good frequency, which I think is another huge thing, which is a whole tangent in itself. Um, and so I wanted to, like, I want to continue to build a life where I have the space in my day to just, as cliches as just be. So say I'm, I'm walking down the street and I see this road. I'm like, oh, wow, that's cool. And I, I have the freedom to go down there and just, I guess, I don't, I don't know. I'm still trying to figure out and navigate how to express what I mean by like provide more space in my day. But I just mean like moments of just being, of just not doing anything, of just um, sitting and drinking my coffee. And I don't need to be reading or on my phone or like learning something new. I, I find that productivity is very praised in our society. Whereas I really believe that rest is just rest is productive as well. And so I guess maybe that's more what I mean about space and, and rest can be many different things. How do you see rest? For me, rest is for myself, it's going to be different. I feel like I think Mm -hmm. for everyone, for me, it's going to a cafe and reading a book and having a coffee or having a bath. I love having baths Um, or like just being in nature or meditating. Those to me are rest, which I also use I could say are synergistic with like filling up my cup. Mm-hmm. And what do you mean by that term, filling up your cup? What does that mean? Um, you can never pour from an empty cup. And so doing these things that fulfill us, that light us up, that make us feel just that feeling that you can't put into words are so important and trying to implement those practices throughout our day, I think is super valuable. And oftentimes I know for myself, I struggle with this of like, oh, I feel obliged to do X, Y, Z, or someone texts me and they want to hang out. And I know that I really just want to be alone. And this comes more to like, once you know more about yourself and get curious about yourself, you kind of, like you said, when that man asked you to go to the opium um, cafe or or whatever, like, you know Mm -hmm. what that means. And so, um, I I, I lost where I was going with that. We were talking about rest and what rest means to you. And then in the perspective of not rest, but filling your cup, what filling your cup, filling your cup. 
sorry, Josh. This no, that's heat, fine. Also, I, too, like it's I was so just hot. Gonna I have say, a light on. Yeah, I, this is the only time I've had my fan off all day. <laughs> I was honestly just gonna say, like, I'm normally pretty quick on my toes, but I am. It's like 85 degrees here. Okay. Like, I guess I, I'm I'm Fahrenheit, so it's. Yeah. I think it's I think it's 45 degrees, 50 degrees wow. outside. It is okay. really hot. Yeah, I'm glad we're on the same page. And you you seem to have a light as well, a ring light or something that just yeah. adds to the noise. Um, yeah, I, I just really think it's valuable. Like you like I, I always think that things should be additive in your life. Your relationships should be additive. They shouldn't be pouring into your cup. A, a relationship shouldn't bring you happiness. They should add happiness to your life. So I think that doing these things that in, you are doing yourself for yourself that bring you happiness are so important so that when these other external elements or relationships, whatever it may be, experiences do come into your life, they're, they're an overflow, an excess of, 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 filling, like, of water in your cup. You, do you know what I mean? And, and you're willing to then provide resources to other people when you have an excess of this, of this energy or water, whatever you want to call it. That's something I've thought about a lot in the, in, in the perspective of relationships, in that the best relationships that I see or the most successful ones that I see are ones where people actually join with their cups full. So mm -hmm. they're already overflowing when they join. And in that sense, they're already content on the way that they are or the life that they've been living. And from there, they can pour into each other while they both evolve at the same time. So it becomes this very interesting synergistic relationship. When you see two people enter into a relationship when they're not figuring out some deep life trauma or getting over a breakup or any of those things when they've when they're already at, an, at a point where they're content with being alone and by themselves and they're in a very good place spiritually and psychologically and what are your opinions on that that's something that i'm very i'm very passionate about talking about um i believe that not only are relationships additive as i said but i always view relationships as three elements um there is two and who whole individuals and when they come to, and then there is also the relationship so there's like two individuals and their relationship and so i don't i don't resonate and i don't i really don't like the term of like you complete me they're my other half and things like that like i have a very like i i'm not ashamed like i have a very intimate relationship with my partner and I'm so proud of what I have with him and I I like to talk about it and I like to highlight other people that I just see consciousness in their relationship because because of what we are are displayed in society and I, I honestly like I'm so passionate about this because I remember when I was 19 years old and I thought I was weird for what I wanted in a relationship and I thought that it was odd and then once I went out and found people that had similar ideas I just felt more seen and so um I I truly believe in like Colin Wright is something that someone that has really impacted me on this too of like we are two trees and like the branches may intertwine that is completely fine but at the end of the day like we are two whole people and yeah I mean additionally to that something else I want to say I always thought that like I was on this journey of independence and like um I didn't want to be in a relationship before I met my current partner and um, I thought I had to do all my healing and figure all of my shit out before I got into a relationship and yes there was some healing or just things I had to go through on my own but honestly additionally to that there's been some of the deepest healing I've found by having someone that knows me on such a deep level and having such an intimate relationship that they're able to really shed light onto parts of myself that like I thought were going to stay hidden forever and to have someone hold that space for me while I do that healing has also been super amazing as well.
that's so beautiful. My tangent. <laughs> mm -hmm. How do you retain your individualism while experiencing Ooh. that? That is a great question um, because I know, at least for myself, especially meeting, like you get, I totally get it, the rose tinted glasses. And like, when you do find someone that just like, I find often people are like, I didn't even know this person could exist. And I, I for sure felt that way. And it is, it, it is such a beautiful thing where like, you're just so in love that you kind of lose yourself. I think that there is beauty to that. Um, but I just really do think that spending time alone is so important um, by yourself and just really communicating what your needs and what your boundaries are. And it's not wrong if you are more of an introverted person or you do need that time by yourself. And another thing that for me was huge for me and just really got me into a trouble when I didn't do this is having relationships outside of your relationship and understanding that your partner cannot fulfill all of your needs. And just being honest about that and recognizing that your partner can't be everything for you. And so you can look to your community for these other things that you need in your life. Do you think that the initial idealism of a partner can have detrimental impacts on the longevity of a relationship? Hmm. I want to make sure I'm understanding it right. Like what we first perceive about this person, like we're viewing them in a, in a good way. Is that what you're yeah, saying? Yeah, like super good way that you're in the honeymoon yeah. phase. You go, yeah. whoa, this is the perfect person. I can't believe this. This is amazing. I'm absolutely in love. This is my soulmate for forever. And then we tend to neglect the potential negatives in that sense. It's a really interesting question. And I, it's hard because for myself, and I don't know, I'm trying to explore why this is. I've always just, like, I, I don't mean this in, like, I, I hope I don't come across in, like, this, like, bratty way, but I've just been so fortunate to just, like, my intuition always just been strong. Like, I've just always, I've never, I've been very privileged to not have, like, the fuck boy or whatever you want to call it enter my life. Like, I can just, I can always read people straight away and, like, their intentions. And so, um, in that regard, I, I, I I struggle, but at the same time, like, I do also believe that sometimes when you know, like, you know, like there is this innate, just kind of like understanding when, when you meet some individuals, whether they're friends or more than friends or anything in between, you just, you do know that there is like this deeper, deeper level to it, but maybe also too, you have to be able to be at that level internally with yourself first before you can see it in others. Like there's that saying of like, you can only meet someone as far as you met yourself. So. I, I, I didn't give you a straight answer there. And it's cause I, I don't know. I, I wouldn't be, I, I can't, I can't That's say that. I'm going to question it. Yeah. <laughs> this is something I've actually never really been able to talk to someone about, but what do you, what are your opinions on the, the culture around relationships and, and sex? And what do you think the, the consequences of that are? What do you, I want you to expand further so I understand sure. where you want to go with that, if that's okay. Yeah, yeah, of course. I think that it's very hard to disassociate a sexual experience from an individual. And I think that's what's largely happened. I think that there are technological advancements that have resulted in that. Mm -hmm. But I think that there are also psychological consequences of that. So I think that you're, people are able to go home and sleep with someone now and not have the long term consequence of having a kid and, okay and so i think that people essentially end up when you have a one night stand you're disassociating the individual that you're having the one night stand with to you're, you're disassociating them with the sexual experience which 
obviously people want that really badly, but I think that we lose something a little bit when like the, the difference between having a one night stand and having sex with someone that you're deeply in love with are two completely different things. And I wonder what the implications of that are for individuals and then for a culture as well. Mm. Mm. I really like that question. Again, I can only speak from my perspective. I am someone that I've just, I've never had like a straight up one night stand. Like I'll say that, like I've never just met someone, know nothing about them and then just like have an intimate physical experience with them. And for myself, it's because like, I need to have that connection that's beyond the physical to like go there with someone. Um, So maybe I, again, maybe I'm not the person to ask for that, but I do, I do think that there is as much as I'm like, I I do think that like people can do what they want and I'm all for like people exploring themselves sexually and just like having that experience. I, I fully support it for people. Um, But I do, I, (laughs) if I'm going to be completely vulnerable, like the experiences that I do have in like such a loving relationship, like on a physical level, it's, I, I think to myself often of like, man, like what I'm experiencing, what I'm experiencing in in this physical moment, I know that it's like not that many people experience it so that I, I do wish that somehow I could show people how to experience that, but like, I can't, do you know what I mean? They have to experience Mm -hmm. it themselves. So I think that maybe me talking about maybe just more the concepts and not, and more the intellectual aspects of the relationship, because that's really helped it manifest in such a, a, a physical, like such a beautiful way physically. Um, maybe that can help people as well, but I will just vouch that it it is a completely different experience and like the physical can change and really um, get more beautiful over time. Like I know that monotony monotony is a thing in like long-term relationships, but I also think that once you know someone on such a deeper level, like when you experience that physically, like when you, if this is making sense, like it's such a powerful thing as well. Yeah. I think you touched on something that is, directly associated that is the vulnerability that you experience when you have a long-term partner Mm. and being able to dig into your traumas and alleviate yourself from traumas with other people and dig through your inner psyche to understand what your what your hang-ups are in life and why you act certain ways towards certain things and I think that a part of that in a relationship and why physical intimacy gets better over time is because you develop such a trusting relationship with the person and you're actually able to come together as as one person mm-hmm. no pun no pun intended uh, yeah. <laughs> i i always think of um the greek so so in greek mythology man and woman were at one point one mm. so two legs four arms two faces i actually think there were three faces but they were cut down the middle and separated from each other because they were too powerful for the gods and they were put into different places so that they couldn't come back together and that's what the idea of a soulmate is. I think that was from mm. Plato's Symposium, was the, the creation of man. And so that's what the idea of a soulmate is, is actually coming together and rejoining with someone and being able to be yourself with that person. Mm. I, I love that. I, I, as we're expanding on this, I want to add in one more thing too, if mm-hmm. that's okay. In regards to like 
you know how I said earlier, like, oh, I don't know if this is my perspective. I want to just share more a, a little bit around my perspective around sex and, and relationships so people can maybe understand. For me, I was actually unlearning the opposite I found throughout my life. I grew up in a very religious, like Christian environment with like um, my schooling and things like that. So I always viewed, I was always taught that like sex is bad and like these urges that I, like humans feel were bad and that one night stands shouldn't be a thing. So I guess from my life, I was always just trying to unlearn that. And then but at the same time, I just didn't resonate with this whole one night stand narrative, but I did question like, is that something I am interested in? So I want to add that to maybe people listening. Like that is also where I'm coming from with my perspective. Well, put. it's funny. I'm on the opposite side. I was, vastly, <laughs> really? I was vastly encouraged by the culture I was in to huh. explore as many partners as I could. And then over time I realized that it just didn't make me feel good. And Can I ask a question on that? Yeah, or please. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no. Yeah. Do you think, was that because you were a male or because of other factors that you were like broadcasted that message? Both. Both. I, okay. I think, I think it's a, I think it's a societal thing. I think. Yeah. So there, there are a ton of different reasons why the different mating selection in terms of males and females, like females look for something different than males look for. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> like very, very different things. And I do think that it is built into males that you want to search for as many sexual partners as you can. And females are far more selective than males are. So it's essentially males will sleep with whoever they can. And then females are the gatekeepers of sex. But I think that there's been a, I think that the, the technology of contraception and the pill are mm. huge in the the opening up of that field into females being able to just have sex without having long-term consequences mm -hmm. and i think that before that it was a lopsided game in the sense that it was far more risky for a female to have a one-night stand than a male and mm -hmm. so i think that we're and that's kind of why i want to i want to dive into this because i feel like you're someone that i can actually have this conversation with in that I don't think that there's been a conversation about sex in our, our culture, like a, a broad conversation that we really need to have to understand this because the divorce rates are going up and single parent households are increasing exponentially over time. And there are all these other things. And I think that they're all, I think that all of that is within a conversation that needs to be held at a societal level. Mm -hmm. Can I, can I go back? Can I ask you another question on what, what we were just talking about? Um, mm -hmm. cause I think you also brought up a really interesting point. So before we jump to that, if we want, um, mm -hmm. do you think that growing up in maybe a space that was more encouraging and you exploring your sexual liberties has helped you feel more comfortable in your sexuality and in your sexual expression? Um, as, like additional to you, like taking out the factor of you being a male, but maybe having the space to talk about these things and just it not be taboo. I think the idea of sex always interested me, but I think that once it got to it, I realized that I really wanted to have sex with someone that I liked. And so I don't think I was dissuaded from talking about things. I actually think that I'm able to talk about a lot of these things because like, like you said, that's actually a really good point. I think the, 
the culture of allowance to discuss these things enabled me to think more deeply about them. Mm -hmm. But I do know that there was always some kind of societal encouragement to hook up when you're young. And that was something that I mm -hmm. always liked the idea of, but the psychological consequences would haunt me for weeks to months after the fact. So that was something that I realized quite quickly. And it was something that I think that I tried to initially put off as something that was just uh, something that I had to get over. And, mm. and then as time went on, I realized, no, this is just something that I don't actually like. I think I'm just sexually conservative for a variety of reasons, but, and there, there's always this, there's always such an interesting pull between those two concepts of sexual liberalism, liberalism and sexual conservatism in that the idea of just going out and having sex with someone is that sounds really nice. Like it is really nice to have sex with people. And at the same time, the consequences after the fact were just something that I couldn't deal with psychologically. I could not like, I could echo that hundred percent. But for me, I struggle because I'm still in this process. I'm still like in the thick of it, to be honest, like, I'm so like proud of myself in this moment to be able to have this conversation because even like um, a few months ago when I was first like really uncovering that like, hey, this is something I feel really uncomfortable talking about and I want to explore why that is. And I think my childhood is a huge factor in it. But like even talking about like masturbation with my friends, I would get so uncomfortable. So the fact that I'm having this conversation now, I'm just, and I feel completely fine and comfortable. I'm like, wow, this is cool. Um, but to your point, I completely agree of like, I'm on this fence for myself where it's like, I was taught the opposite of like, yes, they really encourage this like sexual um, conservatism. Is that correct? Yeah. Whereas like, I truly sometimes feel like I, I do identify with that, that though too, but sometimes I force myself like, especially like, um, like a few years ago, I'd really kind of like force myself to like get out the courage and like, and, and and maybe like drink a bit more and things like that. And I don't even know if that's always, that's always good. Like sometimes it can be a bit scary, like you're vulnerable, but sometimes it's like, if I genuinely didn't want to do something, I don't have to do it. You know, even though society is like this very strongly encouraged as you, as you've expressed like hookup culture and like um, you can swipe right and you can have like sex any night with Tinder. And I don't know, I, I've never really used those apps. So yeah. I find the, going out hookup culture to be interesting there were mm -hmm. there were times that i would actually i would i would bring someone back to my apartment like we'd all be hanging out as a group and i would essentially just cuddle with someone because like skin hunger is just such a thing and that desire to just hang out with someone and that was something that i was skin very hunger. transparent of from the beginning when i would like when when someone would be into me i'd be like hey i don't i don't like to have sex but we can we can just hang out and sleep on the floor or something I don't really care but it's just it's just cool to have another human being around yeah it's human connection and we just innately we innately want that and I think a lot of times I don't know actually I, I don't I don't have the right to say this but I'm just gonna say it I do think that a lot of times like it's like it's like junk food like we're hungry and when we eat this junk food it's not nourishing us so we're full but like we're not nourished you know and so rather if you're eating like a whole foods like a beautiful meal it's completely different right Whereas mm -hmm. that takes maybe a bit longer to cook or you have to be a bit more patient to do it. Or you could go to McDonald's and get a fast food meal and just kind of fill that void, but you're not truly hitting that craving that you have, you know? That's such a lovely analogy. I like that a lot. <laughs> Thank you. I heard a line a while ago and it was that uh, 
people are going to see you in the way that you act mm. and they're going to understand you by the actions that you have, not the intentions that you have. So if you're going to be someone that is rather promiscuous and moves around and sleeps with lots of people, but at the same time, you want this loving long-term relationship, you're not going to be attracting other people that want that loving long-term relationship because they're judging you on your actions and not your intentions. Mm. I think that's great. I also like if I don't mean to get too wooey and like, but like, I feel like that's also with just like the universe and the world. Like when you start acting in alignment with like what you want to do, what you want to be, what you want your lifestyle to look like, you will begin to be provided with those people, those experiences, maybe that finances that um, you are putting out into the world as well, you know, beyond mm-hmm. like including your relationships. Yeah. Well, it's getting, I think it's getting to about, 90 degrees here uh <laughs> this was lovely emma thank you so much for coming on i really appreciate your time and the conversation was beautiful i thought that uh i had a lot of fun thank you very much me as well thank you for your awesome questions for holding space and for inspiring me to go on my journey josh it's something i will always thank you for where can people find you people can find me on um, my instagram is the curious one podcast it's kind of the only platform i hang out on otherwise you can find the curious one which is my podcast on any podcasting platform or over on youtube as well emma krebs thank you so much thank you